Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep the special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for this evening, Lynn. Hi, I'm Lynn Compulsive Overeater. I'm very nervous. Um, I'll pass pictures. Uh, To get the numbers out of the way, I came into program in February of 1986. The only thing I've done perfectly is I've never left these rooms. I currently uh, have seven and a half years of abstinence, so clearly, you know, I had a very winding road, and um, I'm maintaining over 100-pound weight loss. And um, thank you, God. And I don't know why I've kept coming back. I had many relapses, and I um, was here when I was eating, and I hear, and I was here when I wasn't eating. And it's really hard sitting in these seats when I was eating. And for some reason, I knew from the time I walked in these doors that there was really nowhere else for me to go. That this was the last house on the block. And um, and so I just kept coming back because I, I heard that there was hope here, and I figured if it's if it if you guys can get it, why can't I get it? I can get it, and it just took me a long time um, because the first twenty some odd years I worked Lynn's program, and that got me. I came in at two hundred and ten pounds, and um, and I got all the way up to two eighty two in these rooms, and that was working Lynn's program. And it wasn't until I stopped working Lynn's work program and started working the OA program that I was able to put down the food and and take a lot of the weight off and um, and live a happy, joyous, and free life. So since I've got plenty of time, um, <laughs> I'll start at the very beginning. <laughs> um, I come from a Jewish middle-class family in um, from New York, and there was uh, my brother, who's three years older than me, and my father and mother, and we were all compulsive overeaters. My dad was a kosher butcher. So we... Um, Everything was about food, and that started a lot of shame for me because my food was always different than all the other kids. I used to go to school with um, with meat sandwiches that were like two inches high, and everybody else had peanut butter and, gel- and jelly, and I wanted peanut butter and jelly, and my mother said that's fattening. So, and they did. And one thing I knew, I was loved unconditionally. I was the apple of my dad's eye. Um, my mother and I were very close. Uh, my brother and I have a relationship. They did the best they could. They learned from their parents. Uh, you know, I gave all that up a long time ago. So there I felt shame about my food. And because I was always heavy my whole life, I felt shame about my body. And I felt for many, many years that I didn't deserve to take up space in this world because I took up so much space in this world. Um, on an airplane when you're over 100 pounds overweight, spilling into other people's seats and trying to make yourself be so small, Um, always worrying that if I had to go to a lunch meeting, would the chairs have arms or not because I didn't know if I was going to fit into it. That's how I live my life in fear. So um, being brought up in this with this kosher butcher in a small town in New York, we had to go to synagogue a lot. So my, I was not religious. I was a traditional Jew. I was brought up with all the traditions. And any time there was a Jewish holiday, and not just the big ones, but even the little ones, 
Um, my dad's store was closed, and I wasn't allowed to go to school, but I had to go to synagogue with him, and I hated it. And I didn't, I, I, um, I'm not ashamed to say it's just who I am. I don't know much about my religion, and I was bat mitzvahed, and I did all that stuff um, because that's what I was supposed to do. I was a good little girl, by the way, because my dad was a rager, and I just did not want to get yelled at, so I was always the good little girl. So I was brought up in, in with this punishing God, because if I wasn't a good little girl, God was going to punish me. And that was one of the hardest things for me to get over when I came into these rooms and tried to come to believe that there was a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity. That was a loving, unconditional, higher power, because if I didn't do it perfectly, I was going to be punished. And um, when I was about 18, we were out here, and I got a brand-new Mustang. It was emerald green with white leather interior, and I called her Emmy. And it was Yom Kippur, and my parents were going to synagogue, and I was still living with them at the time. And I said, and I didn't go to school that day. I was going to um, Santa Monica City College. And I'm like, no, I'm going to stay home because I never went to school on the Jewish holidays, and, and I'm going to watch soap operas. And my mother said, you know, God's going to punish you. Yeah, whatever. And I went out to go to school the next day, and my car was sitting on the sidewalk. It had been hit. And there was a note and all that, and I came in, and I was hysterical. My mother said, see, you didn't go to synagogue yesterday. And that's just one story out of the millions that I was told my whole life. So to get past that unconditional, loving, higher power was a lot of struggle for me. Um, Mom was always looking to find a good diet for me. She, uh, my dad was a 100-pounder. He died of this disease. He went off to uh, work one day. He was 67, and he had a fatal massive heart attack in his car. Uh, he just didn't come home. And he was an insulin-dependent diabetic, and we were able to get the police to put in a report. And it turns out he died in his car. Um, my mother always had that 50 pounds, right? She and, and Weight Watchers was her thing. So at nine, I was at those meetings. And again, about my food, I used to go to school with these little, and you know when you have, I mean, so clear, these little margarine containers that had this tuna salad thing that she would make with red peppers. I was nine years old and eating this stuff and had shame about my food. No birthday cake, because it was fattening, so there was no birthday cakes when I was a kid. Um, so she was always trying to find something for me, and my first time that I ever got to a more normal weight, I was in uh, my senior year of high school. My mom found a doctor and who said I had a thyroid problem. So I do not believe I had a thyroid problem. Um, but all I know, I was able to go about my day with having one baked potato and a regular Pepsi. So clearly, I do not think it was a thyroid, but whatever. And I got down to a normal weight in my senior year of high school. And, um, and there's a picture of me in my, I went to my prom with a family friend, by the way, because I didn't date. There, you know, there was just no boys that would want to go out with me. But I, I always had friends, but no, no boyfriends. And then um, when we graduated high school, the boys were in white dinner jackets and the girls were in long white dresses. And I was normal for the first time in my life. And we gra- I graduated high school in June of 1975. In July 1st, we moved to California, and I knew nobody and spent the entire summer with my cousins, and I was eating. So, it, you know, I just stopped eating, and then I started eating again. Whatever I, whatever I was taking stopped working for me. And when I was out here, I tried, you know, Mom kept finding places for me to go and found another doctor, and this time I knew it was pills, and, um, and they worked till they stopped working. And um, I've been at my company for, it'll be 35 years in July. I don't do change very well. 
So um, I've been there a long time. I've been able to grow in that company, um, but they promoted me to something I wasn't ready for, and I had just taken a bunch of weight off on pills, and I couldn't handle it, and I started eating again. So that's pretty much my story, and um, I, I was I was eating, and then I was got something that worked, and I would stop eating, and then something happened, and I would just start eating again. So I said I would never get to 175, by the way. That was my limit. And sure enough, when I walked in these rooms at 210 pounds in 1986. And how I found these rooms was um, I was hanging out with some women. I was living um, in Glendale at the time, and I met them at Richard Simmons Anatomy Asylum. He had opened up a whole bunch, and there was one in Glendale. And, um, and this woman actually happened to also... Um, she smoked a lot of pot, and she kind of was started getting me pot. And I'd never done that before, never. I was a good girl. Um, my first drug of choice is, is food, but then I found this pot. And what it did for me was, because, um, you know, I go to the carbs because I want to be in a coma, and that this helped me. And then when I'd get so full and I couldn't eat anymore, I would just take a hit, and then I was able to get more food in and that's how I spent my weekends by the way at home in my condo in Glendale by myself with the drapes drawn with the food on the table and the and the pot and um and that's that's what I was doing so her therapist this woman who I became friends with and who sold me my pot she her therapist suggested Overeaters Anonymous so um I'm like I had never really heard of Overeaters Anonymous. I heard of AA only because my mom had a client and we went to a party where he was taking a cake for very many, a lot of years. But I didn't know anything about the program, but it didn't matter because it was a place where I can come and lose weight. So I'm like, okay, I'll go. And we walked into our first meeting in February of 1986 and it was in Glendale and it was a Friday night and it was a um, there must have been 200 people in this room and before we left my before we left my condo we put the Pepsi's in the freezer so that they can be at the right slush. We packed the pipe and put it in the glove compartment, and we walked into this meeting where there were over 200 people, and you all seemed to know each other. And like I said, I always had friends in program, but I, I saw so much love and fellowship in these rooms, and everybody was hugging everybody, and... She was, like, appalled, but I just, there was just something there, and um, I couldn't even tell you what was said at that meeting. I didn't know there was a newcomer meeting before. Um, we left. We got in the car. We lit the pipe, picked up the Chinese food, went back to my house, and I said to her, are you, you think you'll go back? And she's like, no way, and I'm like, well, I don't know. I think I might, and two weeks later, I went to, by myself to the Monday night fireside meeting in Burbank. It was March 10th of 1986. That was my first date of my first abstinence. And they say, find a sponsor who has what you want. And this woman, like I said, I came in at 210, and my goal weight, my, my goal weight was 120. And she got up, and she still had about 100 pounds to lose, but she'd lost 90 pounds in nine months. And so I thought, oh, okay, 90 pounds in nine months, I'll be at my goal weight, so I'll ask her to be my sponsor. And literally, that's what I did. And um, we didn't do anything in the big book. We didn't do anything in the 12 and 12. I think the OA stuff hadn't come out yet or was on his way out to fellowship. I don't remember. But... Um, but what I did find was we would meet with a bunch of people before a meeting for dinner, and we would go for coffee after dinner, uh, and then after the meeting, and we would meet for lunch, like on Saturday. We all went to, we were in a herd, and we all went here, and then we'd go to lunch afterwards, and I found a fellowship of people. And it kept me coming back. It absolutely kept me coming back. 
So um, when we got to the chips part of it, uh, at the time, the Wednesday night 100-pounder meeting, you had to be a 100-pounder to pitch or to take, take chips and or to even speak. And I thought, wow, 110, that's a little low for me. So I, just, I decided that my top weight would be 220. <laughs> and that way I could go and take a chip. And that's really how I was working my program. Clearly, step one, the principle of honesty, I was not working any step in these rooms. Um, so I, I did. I took a chip at the 100-pounder meeting. And about six months in, I was 57 pounds down, and I was on target, right? And a gentleman showed interest in me. And like I said, I didn't do a lot of dating. And they suggested don't get into a relationship in your first year. And so clearly I was working Lynn's program and got into this relationship. And uh, coming into these rooms and sitting when you would be not, it was like in high school, by the way, when you were not with this person and they'd be over in that side of the room and I'd be there and then we'd get back together and then we'd be sitting next to each other and then three months later we'd be apart. And I did this, what I was doing with food out before I came into program. Every time we would break up, I'd get a sponsor and I'd start working some kind of program. Rarely was it in the books. I still hadn't read the big book, by the way. But the OA 12 and 12 had come out now for sure and I, and I did the workbook and I did it all the way through one of, during one of our breakups. And then um, and then he would call, and then I'd go back. And then so if I lost 10 pounds while we were apart, I gained 20 pounds while we were together. And that's how I gained not only the close to 60 pounds I had lost, but additional 60. So I got myself up 120 pounds um, in, this, in this relationship that was suggested that I don't get in. But I will tell you that the times that I sat in these rooms and I, and I worked with a sponsor, I got a lot of emotional recovery and I got a lot of spiritual recovery. And I heard a lot. And I heard about living amends. And I thought, um, oh, and let's talk about the pot for one second. Because when I was abstinent that first time, I remember laying on the couch and I was stoned. And I, and I remember thinking, because that's when I had my great thoughts, but it was a good one. It was like, how can you connect with your higher power when you're stoned? What difference is this than if you were eating? And I was able to just stop. And I haven't, haven't used it since. I don't have a date. I don't know. I was a heavy user. I'd go home at lunch and get high. But I don't use that today and, and haven't for a very long time. So, um, so I, I heard about living amends, and I thought one day that maybe, maybe my living amends to this person would be that, because I knew we had no future, that if he called, I should just say no. And I finally was able to do that, and, and I learned about living amends in these rooms. And, um, and I started to, I got a sponsor who um, took me through uh, some, some work. No, sorry, this one was all on food and, and on uh, exercise. I did not do any work in the big book. And I lost over 100 pounds. And two years in, I met somebody in program. And he was, um, he had about 16 years of keeping 100 pounds off. He was very active. He was uh, in a group chair. He was region two treasurer. He was in all the birthday plays. And we uh, met, I, had, I was at a normal weight, and we met and we started dating, and by the time we got married three years later, I had put most of my weight back on. And when I was young, I was given the message not, that I can't feel. One, if I was laughing too loud at the table, um, 
usually when my cousins were over and I was drinking something and it would come out of my nose, I would be sent away from the table. And that gave me the message not to laugh. And then if I'd be crying, I would be given something to cry about. So that gave me the message not to cry. So the only way that I wouldn't feel is to stick food in my mouth. So here I was getting, I'd never been married. I was 40 years old, 42 years old at the time. And I was finally getting everything I wanted. And um, I didn't know how to handle the feelings. So by the time we had our wedding, I was a fat bride. And um, we had a really healthy relationship, um, even though I was in the food. But I, uh, like I said, I had a lot of emotional and spiritual recovery. And about... Three months, um, now October of 2005, someone came up to me at a women's stag meeting, because again, I never stopped going to meetings all this time, and she came up to me and she said, let me help you. And we got the big book out, and that was the first time I got into the big book and doctor's opinion, and the only, requir- you know, the only um, relief is entire abstinence. And I started working a program, and I started losing weight. And I really felt now that I was not working Lynn's program anymore. I was working the Overeaters Anonymous program. And I went and I took my 90-day chip, and I went home, and I found out that my husband had passed away suddenly. And he was 56 years old, and I was 48, and I was a widow. I, my whole life had changed like that. And for the first three months, and this fellowship was amazing, by the way. They were amazing. And the first three months, I was in shock. And my work, um, they were really good to me, and they, they wanted to distract me, right? So they sent me on a, on a convention in Vegas for theater owners, and when you, when you registered, you got a goodie bag, and in that goodie bag was concession candy. And um, it was the night before I was going home, and I didn't eat candy, um, and that bag was sitting on my table, and the, the thought of walking in that house with him not being there was too great than picking up the food. And so I had, I felt I had no choice but to pick up the food. And I came home and it took me a while. For my story, what I did was if I wasn't willing to work a program, I would, I didn't want to waste a sponsor's time. Um, I, it didn't always happen right away, but I eventually would either cop to what I was doing or I would be dropped or something. But I, I, it was just more guilt for me to deal with. So I didn't want to waste time. So I, I, I said, I'm, you know, I'm eating. And she had no experience in being a widow. So she just became a very dear friend of mine instead and really helped me through a really difficult time. And um, that's when I learned what step one was all about, powerlessness. Because there was no way this man was coming back. And that was my, you know, I, my lesson of him dying was me learning what powerlessness was about. And I started to think that um, the pain of eating was becoming greater than the pain of him dying. And I walked into the recovery from relapse meeting that's on Sundays in, in the valley. And I walked up to somebody after the meeting who had, a, a, she, was a, she, was, she knew about relapse. She had had it a few times. She was a 100-pounder, had her weight off. She knew my husband. Um, she knew me. And I went up to her and I said, I can't stop eating. And that's the difference of when I walked into these rooms in February of 1986. Because in 1986, I came in these rooms because I wanted to lose weight. That day, I wanted to stop eating. So she gave me an assignment that today I still think of this. Um, She wanted me to write 10 things I forgave myself for and 10 things I forgave my husband for. 
And I had so much shame about coming around these rooms and not being an exa- a physical example of this program. And I finally let that go. And I had, um, thank God, I had a clear relationship with him. That's what this program taught me. My dad died in 1995. We died when he died. I had nothing. I had no letters to write. I had no work to do. I had cleaned that up before he died. This program taught me to do that. And and when Carl died, um, I knew that there was a reason we were together for that short time. We were only married two and a half years. And and it's taught me that I could be loved. And even when I was 280 pounds, he still loved me. And that was a lesson for me. So um, this woman got me in the, the AA 12 and 12. And I had never, I, I, I had maybe three copies of the AA 12 at home. But whenever I would, uh, and again, I would open it up and I would read it. It was like that Charlie Brown um cartoon, I don't know who it is that's in it, but when they would talk, it would be like, wah, 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 and I would, and I would take out the book, and I would read it, and, I, and the words were not making any sense to me, it was like that wah, 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 and she had me take out that 12 and 12, and she wanted me to read um, a paragraph at a time, and write on it, and there were questions, and you know what, that day, that first day that I took out that book, it made total sense to me. So for some reason, you know, I'm so grateful I stuck around because I finally, I I stopped working Lynn's program, started working the OA program, and started having some recovery. And about nine months in, um, I was getting ready with my amends, and she went into relapse. And and I begged her not to drop me because I didn't, I I just didn't want to have to find another sponsor. And I said, you know, it's okay as long, just get me through the steps. I never, I had never gone through all 12 steps in the, in the AA, 12 and 12, please get me through the steps. And so she did. And, th- and then it was like, okay, let me just call you. You don't have to answer because she was in major relapse. Just let me call you because then I'll be accountable. That's all. I just need to be accountable. Well, I wasn't being accountable because no one was picking up the phone. And, I, you know, in the 10-step in the promises, you know, um, my recovery is contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. And I had, a, I had to continue to work, and I wasn't working because she wasn't available. So I knew I needed to find another sponsor, and, um, and I found this, this woman who uh, was, was all about God. I knew she would take me to God, and she was very spiritual. And so I worked with her for a while, but, you know, it just wasn't clicking, and I wasn't calling her, and I was scared. I was scared. And... <clears throat> I um I kept coming back. I kept coming back. And one day she she emailed me. And she goes, "Am I your sponsor?" <laughs> you know. And I'm like, "Yeah." And I knew it wasn't working. And I I found somebody else. And I've been working with her now for almost two years. And um she you know she said you know I've been through the OA twelve and twelve. I've been through the AA twelve and twelve. What would I like to work on? And I said I've never read the big book from beginning to end. I have three of those. I even have, what is it, the third edition? Are we on the fourth now? So I have a third edition because I got one right away, but I've never, never read it. And so I, I bought myself a new big book and started a paragraph at a time. And, and we're on um, To the Wives right now. And this is almost two years. And we're, it's, it's a slow process, but every day I read a paragraph and I write on it. And I call her... Oy, I call her, 
I call her um, um, I call her every morning, Monday through Friday, and we talk about what I wrote. And in the beginning, I was I was uh, reporting my food. I was reporting my food, and then she talked to me about maybe committing my food. And I I tried committing my food a few times, and it just I was lying. You know, I was lying. And again, you know, I just I finally, you know, I was I was working this program, and I had everything I wanted in life, and um, so I was willing to take direction. I'd always, she'll suggest things for me, and I'd always don't do it right away, but I do it. About five years after uh, Carl passed away, I was ready to get out there and date. And um, and I have to tell you, when he first died, I did not think that this I ever would want to meet somebody again. But I did a lot of work on myself in those five years, and um, and I was willing. And I got married in November. To um, uh, he's in he's in a different program, but we didn't meet in program. He I knew him. He knew my husband. My husband's one of my husband's sponsees was his best friend. We've known each other many years. It was just the right time, and I believe in that. I truly believe in that, and I, this is such a gift in my life. And um, and to be in a twelve step program with somebody, I am. I'm struggling at work. Like I said, I've been there a long time, and and I'm it. My, I'm. I'm not saying I'm going downhill. I am just. I think I'm ready. It's time for me to move on, and that's really scary. Having never looked for a job for 35 years, I don't know how to do this, and um, and I'm not doing it tomorrow. I'm not doing it today. Um, and I'm not doing it on Monday either. But <laughs> but I have I. One thing about being absent now for this amount of time and working a program is I know when action needs to be taken. And I, like I said, it's not something that, oh, I need to do this and I do it, but I will eventually do it. And there's work to be done on this because every time I think and I, and I speak about this incident that went on, tears bring up. And I know the tears are coming up because there's some work that I need to do. And um, I will eventually do that work. Um, my, you know, that definition of insanity is, we t- I talk about it with my sponsor, because me staying is insane, because the same, same things keep happening, and it's not going to change. And I know that. It's just a matter of me taking the action. And I've got a lot of fear, fear around that, and it's, you know, financial fear. Um, and the promises have come through to me come through for me over and over again. But this financial one is, is really scary. So um, so anyway, so I, I got the sponsor now, and we what I do every day um, to stay in recovery is uh, I do my assignment, and, and now I, the night before, I do a 10-step, and I started with the AEIOU. And, um, and if somebody doesn't know what that is, come to me after the meeting, and I'll tell you. But... Um, that was that was simple for me, and I'd never done ten steps before. By the way, at night, my program is continual, continually growing. I'm I know I'm never going to graduate. I know I'm not going to leave, 
and I know that things are going to come in my life that's going to give me a reason to pick up one of those steps to work on it or all 12 steps. Somebody sent me um, 12, how to work on a problem, the 12 steps to work on a problem. You know, that th- this, this program, I'm so grateful. I-, I feel bad for people who don't have a program. And, and I work with one of those women, and um, it is excruciating for her, excruciating. I see it. And my job is to pray for her. And one of the things we do in the morning is my husband and I, we pray together. Um, and we burn sage for this woman <laughs> and because I am really struggling. And so I'm praying for her. Um, so I, I pray and I meditate in the morning. I do my writing assignment. I call my sponsor. We talk for 15 minutes. Um, and then at night I do the 10 step. Now, at one point she said, um, have you thought about maybe, uh, you know, increasing your 10 step from the AEIOU? And I'm like, to what? She goes, I'll send you a couple of examples and see if there's something there you're willing to do. And I'm like, that means more writing, you know, and... But I know I, she's not doing this to punish me. She's doing this to help me just stay in recovery and continue to grow. So I start doing. I started doing another one, but I was only doing it Monday through Friday. <laughs> and then, um, and then one day she mentioned to me on the phone, you know, my program is seven days a week. You know, my my disease is seven days a week, and I'm like. I hear you. And I started doing it seven days a week, and that's what I do now is my 10 steps seven days a week. Um, I go, uh, okay, service. Um, I've sponsored a few women. I don't like sponsoring. I have this talk with my sponsor quite often. Um, My, my, um, my work is far, it's a long day, blah, 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 but I'm just not willing to sponsor. So she says, okay, when I retire, I'll, and which is, that's what we're working towards is me to retire soon, then I'm willing, I'll, I'll have the time. But for now, she goes, there's other ways to do service. So one of it is like, go to a meeting and get a service commitment, because I was only going to the meetings on weekends now, right? Because, you know, I was, I was in recovery and I was married. So um, so she said, you know, so I picked up a meeting on Thursday night, and now I'm the treasurer, and I show up at a Monday night meeting, and, um, and if somebody needs somebody to fill in for their position, I raise my hand, and, and um, you know, I want to keep what I got. I want to keep what I got. Um, if I'm asked, asked to speak, I speak. Um, and I am in such gratitude to this program you know, I've heard few people say, you know, the weight is is nothing compared to what you get. For me, being a 100-pounder and being ashamed to be in anybody's space, it is a threefold disease for me. It's a third about the physical. It's a third about the emotional and a third about the spiritual. There's no less my I, – I, I need all of it, and I want all of it. And um, a year and a half ago, uh, my mom died. And two weeks after I got engaged – she died and um, I miss her so she uh, we were very close and she she was a woman who taught me how to be so strong Um, when my dad died she was 60 63 or something you know I was a widow at 48 and 
if it wasn't for the way she brought me up, I don't know if I would have gotten through between that and programs. So it, I didn't lose my abstinence over my mom dying, though, by the way. Um, and it was difficult. And there's just nothing like a mom. And there's no, not that I replaced Carl, but there's no replacing my mom. And, um, but I got through it abstinently. And I got through it doing work on it. And I cried when I needed to cry. And I, and I'm healing. And, um, and the Jewish holiday of Passover was coming up. And I just didn't want to deal with it. And it's okay. I don't have to deal with it. And we went away for the weekend. And that's okay. That's okay. So, um, all, you know, my message really is don't leave. Don't leave. I, like I said, coming into these rooms and being at a meeting and eating, you know, I knew that you all were judging me, but mostly I was judging myself. And then if I'm eating and I'm down there, I'm judging you. And it's all because I'm picking up food. And when I put down the food, you know, it's that three fingers are pointing at me and I'm pointing at you. So, um, and all the slogans, as when I'm eating, they're like, keep coming back. But when I'm, when I'm not eating, it's, I'm going to come back, you know, and 200 going down the scale is so much easier than 200 going up the scale, you know, and I know that from experience. So, um, oh, well, I'm done. I don't think there's much more to say. I'm just, you know, thank you, Michelle, for asking me to come and share, and I'm, Every day on my gratitude list, which is part of my 10th step, it's like, you know, three things I'm grateful for. And most of the time I write the program of Overeaters Anonymous because it's teaching me how to live in that outside world. That's a really scary place. Thank you. Does anybody have a question? Yeah, thanks for asking that. Um, Yes, um, I was asked that, you know, I I grew up with this punishing God and how I struggled a long time to get that unconditional loving higher power. And how did I get there? And one of those times that I was not with that man and I was working a program, it was in the OA 12 and 12. And my um, sponsor at the time suggested I write a want ad. And so I did. And my want ad, now... I don't know why, and this is not my visual today, but my visual was Santa Claus. And, um, and part of it was because he, he was big, and I was big, and he can put his arms around me, and he was a jolly, happy soul, and he gave gifts. But um, that's what my vision was, and that was my beginning of, of my higher power. And, and it was a lot of, you know, that self-talk of when I would be in the negative to get into the positive and taking contrary action. And that when I was afraid and in fear, it was writing about it, talking about it, crying about it, whatever it was, and, and know that God is not punishing me, that I have a loving, unconditional higher power who only wants the best for me. And sometimes it was just contrary action. I didn't believe it. But if you all had it, why couldn't I? I think the main reason was that I had a lot of friends. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, um, The question was, how did I keep coming back uh, when I was eating and and self-loathing and still coming back and and, uh, embarrassment? And I think for me, the main reason was that I had friends in this program and that they would be here. And if I needed to walk into a meeting and I was afraid, a friend would come with me. So I never really came in alone when I was eating. I always, having being around so long, there was always somebody that was there that I knew. 
So I think that was probably the, the, the main reason it wasn't as difficult for me. How am I handling the grief about my mom's passing without turning to food? Um, I, today I know that it's not going to bring her back. It is not going to bring her back. I'm only going to feel worse if I pick up the food. And um, I did it when Carl died, and uh, I, I don't, I don't want to go back there again. So I work really hard, and I don't keep a secret. And when I'm in uh, grief, I feel the grief. And one thing I learned, having lost my dad and my husband, was there's no wrong way to grieve. And so I, I grieve the way I need to grieve. And some days, um, you know, a year and a half later, I had a hard, a hard time. And I admitted I'm having a hard time. And so I did what I needed to do. But I do know that picking up the food on anything, whether it's losing somebody or what's going on with me at work today, it's not going to make anything different with the situation. It's just going to give me self-hatred. So there's, you know, there's uh, nine tools and some days I just got to use every single one of them. And then there's the steps. Are we done? Oh, we're done. All right. Thank you.